just starts yelling at everyone. Like, he's just like, I'll kill all y'all. You know, like, come on. He's just ready, you know. And there's nobody between me and this dude. And I'm like, guess that's a guy I'm here to hug today. Yeah, Jesus. And uh, so he's walking towards me, threatening my life. And I just walk calmly towards him. And he's maybe like 100 feet away, like walking towards me. And I just say like, hey, man, would you like a hug? And he looks at me and it's just his, the confusion on his face in that moment. She's like, what, what did you say? And I was like, would you, I said, I said, would you like a hug? And he, he just looks at me and he just goes, it's like his everything, all the, all the tension in his body just completely release. Yeah. And he just goes, hell yeah, I want a hug. Hello everyone and welcome to Field Tripping. Today, we are speaking with an artist who is fostering connection to intuitive states and the natural world through sound, breath, and technology. He is the CEO of Data Garden, is the inventor of the plant wave, something that if you have TikTok, you've ostensibly seen by now, and is working to build a future where humans have a real-time soundtrack to their lives generated by systems that are responsive to mood, tailored to taste, and optimized by any activity. His name? is Joe Patitucci, and his latest product, PlantWave, translates real-time data from living plants into music, creating harmonious sound environments powered by nature. Joe, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to Field Tripping. I've got to say that I didn't know much of your story before preparing for this podcast, but you had me at, hi, my name is Joe Patitucci. My calling is to identify ways of combining the use of new and emerging technologies to extend real-time human perception into subtle realms of reality. Please explain that. What perceptions do you think we've lost over time? Yeah, so the core of my work right now is around making plant music. And plant music is, you know, we're, we're tuning into these subtle things that are happening in plants. And we're having that expressed as music. And there are a lot of things that we've disconnected from ourselves in our own bodies. Um, A lot of people, it takes time if you're teaching someone meditation, it takes time for some people to even connect to the feeling of their own heartbeat or their own breath. Yeah. And these are all things that have been a part of being human uh, since the beginning of time or since the beginning of humans. Yeah. And... uh, yeah, what I'm here to do is create experiences that can help to reconnect people back into those into those senses, into you know connection to their heart, connection to their breath, connection with nature. And I'm sure there are other ways that our bodies, uh, you know, we have these organs that are sensing organs, and there are other ways that our bodies can sense that we don't normally use uh, feeling, uh, intuition. And uh, I believe that over time, as we are getting to know ourselves more deeply through digital technology, we can actually use sound as a tool to help to heighten our experience of these subtle senses and intuitions and feelings. Oh, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's an interesting topic in my mind. I mean, uh, Yuval, sorry, Yuval Noah Harari talks about how, you know, if you go back to humanity before we lived in 
whatever you call this civilization now, we were much more reliant on all of our faculties, not just our, what we call the five common senses, right? Mm -hmm. um, and even the teacher I work with, Erwin, he talks about how we have way more senses than the five. You know, a simple example is hot and cold. You walk into a room and you can tell immediately if you like someone or not. That's uh, not just sight or smell or hearing. There's some sort of different thing you're picking up. Even babies, uh, you know, they can recognize their mothers if they're in the room, right? Again, not touch, not smell, not sight. These are not faculties that have been developed in children. So we know that they're there. And so I think it's a really cool exercise to try and teach people to tune back into it, whether it's just using plants as a proxy to remind ourselves that there's a lot more going on uh, in this world, uh, or through meditation or otherwise leaning into, we call it intuition, I think right now, because it's like we don't have a, a framework to do it. But I think if we dug into it more, there'd actually be a much more concrete understanding of what these senses are, which are, are far beyond the, the five that we have. And one of the things you said uh, on your website, you link our collective indifference to total annihilation of life on earth to the awareness that the sun will eventually turn into a red giant and eventually consume the whole planet. Uh, that's an awareness that has only existed for the last maybe 100 years, you know, in terms mm. of scientific understanding of what happens to stars and all this kind of stuff. So is this indifference new? I feel like in many ways, we are much more conscious about the value and preciousness of life than ever in history. If you just look at the, the murder rate and the amount of war going on, it's at all-time historic lows for the last 250,000 years of human existence, but also appreciate there seems to be an acceptance of our hurtling towards some existential dream, uh, which indifference is only being exacerbated by our cult of busyness. We're so busy these days, we don't pay attention to um, anything that, that that's going on these days. But I'd love to hear more about your thinking around this idea of why you think the knowledge of our eventual millions, if not billions of way, years away, eventual doom is, is affecting us these days. Yeah, I think that humans have always had some sort of, there's always some sort of Armageddon or end time that is being prepared for on a, on a human scale that is, I believe, a reflection of just us coming to terms with our own mortality. Yeah. I think what has maybe change is, and, and this is especially present in some aspects of the environmental movement, where it's like, obviously, we have to, we have to care for this planet, because this planet, we are this planet, this planet is, we're made of Earth, right? Yeah. And, but there's, there's this, there's a doomsday cultism in it, that sometimes comes out where it's like, we're screwed if we don't do this in the next two years, and then in 30 years, everything's gonna end. And, and that has has kind of been a story that that keeps coming up. It's come up in the last 50 years multiple times. Yeah. You know, and it, we were going to clock. have an ice age, and then this, and, um, and I'm, I'm not trying to in any way take anything anything away from the urgency of, of action around climate and environment. But at a certain point, there feels like it feels like there's a bit of nihilism in it. Like we've already destroyed it. 
it's just we're just gonna burn up there's there's a the in in terms of the climate aspect it's like we're just gonna burn up and uh you know we've destroyed this planet we're screwed there's nothing much we can do humans are terrible just live your life and die and yeah so there's that aspect and then there's also an aspect yes uh, that i'm describing where Obviously, yeah, the sun will eventually explode and consume Earth. And whether or not we're there to be, whether or not humans survive to that moment, you know, we have to take some action uh, to ensure that we're taking care of our planet. Uh, some might be okay with the fact that we're just going to burn up and we're just going to be here and enjoy life and then that's it. I believe that we're here to do more than that. I believe we're here to survive and thrive here and beyond beyond this planet. And I feel like having a mentality like that, and you see this in, in people like Elon Musk, you know, yeah. having a mentality like that helps me to see how important it is to take care of our planet now and that we don't have the option to just... Uh, allow allow ourselves to you know kind of fall into apathy and nihilism in it. Two questions, mm -hmm. uh, very different questions, but kind of related. Like, what 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 do we do about that? Because I even I like to think of myself as being somewhat progressive and aware, and I'm exhausted by the the constant sure. emergency that you know environmentalists cast us into. That you just start to tune it out. You can't live in a state of perpetual dread um, for the forthcoming apocalypse, if that's in fact coming. Um, uh, at the same time, people need to express the urgency because I recognize there is urgency that. The direction we're on is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point, and we're not going to be able to get off it. I'm not sure I necessarily subscribe to the apocalyptic belief behind it. I believe we'll change, we'll adapt, we'll, we'll as as life has throughout all of existence uh, in terms of life. Um, but how do you not become numb to that? And then the second question, which is, how did you start on this path of of exploration towards senses? I mean, we'll talk about the plant wave, which is super cool, and I'm excited to talk about that. But what got you on this journey in the first place? Two different questions, but they're they're pretty related, I think. Sure. So the first one is related to how do you how do you not get numb to the constant state of emergency that we seem to live in these days? Well, I just look at it as how is feeling anxiety and shame serving me? Right. Is it helping me help the planet or is it putting me in a position where I feel paralyzed, sad, and a dark cloud? Right. <laughs> so for me, it's just, yeah. I'm looking at what's in service of actually making the changes or what's in service of actually moving forward in a way that's aligned with earth and it's not obsessing and being anxious about it it's about having a vision and about enabling people to solve problems or creating you know for me it's about it's about creating opportunities for people to see the world in a new way right and it's about opening people up 
I think a big thing is like people people think of plants as things. People don't even realize that we're made out of earth. Like right. people think that humans are are that that consciousness comes from the brain. Like all of these things, not recognizing that everything is that that we are expressions of consciousness. We're expressions of earth consciousness, and that we are all connected. And that and then once you have that kind of worldview, you start to honor the earth a lot more, you start to honor your food more, you start to really recognize, honor your body more. And when you're honoring your body more and you're honoring all these things more, you're just able to move, like for me, I'm able to just move and, and serve more from a place of wholeness rather than, you know, rather than looking to cure anxiety in myself or something. I'm moving from, from purpose rather than trying to numb myself. Right. I, I'm not sure I honored those biscuits I had right before I came here because I'm still feeling <laughs> mighty full. Uh, thank you, Texas, for a delicious treat. I hear you on that. You know, it's one of those things where it's, for a lot of people, it's easier said than than done. So how did you cultivate that in yourself? Has it always just kind of been there? Because uh, I, I think about my friend Charles, for example, who's certainly one of the smartest people in terms of just raw processing horsepower uh, that I know. And I see him almost perpetually in a, in a state of, it's not anxiety, it's almost depression about the state of the world. You know, he, mm -hmm. he gets caught up in the conversations about nuclear war and economic catastrophe and environmental catastrophe, and he just feels hopeless. Um, and and it's not, it's certainly not from a, lack of sure intellectual power to get out of it, but he just gets caught up in that and he doesn't know how to break free. And that often puts him in a cycle of of feeling defeated and, and there being nothing to do other than await our eventual doom. You clearly take a and and hold a, a different energy around it and perspective. How you know? Um, it, it, and is it just is it just natural to you? Is it something you've cultivated? Um, is there a practice? Because I think everyone's looking for the thing about like how do I stop worrying about all of these things in a manner that frees me up to actually be proactive about them? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, part of it's intuitive and part of it's logical. So it's a there's a mixture of the two. I mean, I think of it as uh, you know, if I were to climb a really high ladder like a ladder that's a hundred stories, is it going to serve me to look down from a thousand feet up in the air and wonder if I'm going to fall? Or is it going to serve me to look towards the top of the ladder and think one rung at a time? Right. And it, you know, turning on the news is like looking off of the ladder with a bunch of loud signs saying you're going to fall yeah. in every language, in every permutation of seduction, that's what's there on the internet and on TV. And so I don't look at that. <laughs> Smart. And you know, what brought me there? Uh, I mean, a, a part of what brought me there is honestly just recognizing how energy flows and how, you know, attention, you know, where, where yeah. attention um, goes, energy flows. And a lot of that I learned from listening to plants and, and okay. watching, listening to plants and seeing plants respond to different people walking into a room. 
and how sometimes someone would walk into a room and the plant would just completely change the music that it was making. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And right. those people were energy healers, uh, Reiki masters, botanists, florists, uh, people that had really deep connections to subtle forms of energy or people that were really connected to plants. And so those people showed me that this idea of what we were talking about earlier, like this uh, this sense of somebody walking in and, and, and feeling like a bright light, that's something that you know, we can sense and things are intuitive and things are subjective until we understand them and then they become objective truths, right? Because then when we have enough data, then we can point to it as something that's real. And uh, we're not quite there with, with, with that feeling of somebody that walks into a room, but there is a shift that I have heard in plants. Right. And so it could have something to do with heat or light that we're giving off that yeah. people don't see. But that's for me, that got me to think about how do I cultivate that light within myself? And what are the things that are getting in the way of me being in that space? And the things that get in the way are Biscuits. paying attention to, <laughs> or just paying attention to, you know, just all the doomsday stuff. Right. Yeah. It's it's one of the things I, I want to talk about the plant wave in a second because sure. uh, you know I, there's so much interest there, but there's other questions that I want to sort of tap into, Please. which is um, how do you stay informed without getting sucked into the kind of media construct of of doomsday, right? Mm. Which is it's something that I, I wish existed, and I keep trying to find it a platform that is just. There's no, no such thing as true objectivity when it comes to relaying the news, but something that is like informative without necessarily being overly optimistic or, or overly catastrophic. So I'm wondering, do you have any sources or are you just able to distill and, and, and edit out all of the unnecessary conjecture to try and just focus on, on the facts and information that are meaningful? My question is, like, how important is it to stay informed? I don't know that it is, you know, I, I will see things. If I see something out there, I will, you know, that is compelling or that's interesting, whether I agree with it or not, I might read it. And then I'll go and I'll read the other version, you know, the other side's version of it. So if I see something that pops up from CNN or something, I'll read that. Yeah. Maybe if somebody sends something to me, maybe I'll read it. And then I'll go and I'll like actually go on Fox News or something and read the, the, the other take because all of the media outlets, they're, they have their own kind of set narratives and yeah. they're only serving the information that, that serves that, uh, that one narrative. Yeah. And they're always completely omitting another part of the narrative that is a part of this complex thing. And so I, I usually, I'll just like, go and look at that and it's like, oh, okay, that's a take, that's interesting. And then I'll go and I'll look somewhere else and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's another take. That's not mentioned there, okay, cool. And these guys aren't mentioning that. Oh, that's interesting, all right. Yeah. I, I just kind of look at it that way. And I, I think the biggest thing is I just, I studied, went to school for anthropology and I was okay. super into um, you know, media and, and cultural frameworks and the way that we create reality. And so I just, and my dad was in media, my dad was in 
newspapers and stuff back in the day. So I remember my dad would tell me, uh, yeah, the news isn't news. It's just there to sell advertising. Right. And so I don't necessarily subscribe to the media necessarily as being educational. It's okay. there to sell cars and washing detergent. Yeah, I was I was watching an episode of Succession last night. I don't know if you've happened to to watch that, but that that theme came up. One final question before we talk about Planet Wave. Elon Musk uh, in the news again, and I know you touched on him earlier as being one of the people who's kind of leading the mission to make us an inter uh, interplanetary species. What's your what's your perspective on him? Oh, which news? Oh, there's he, always there's always a lot of news. Always news. Him. So he uh, apparently he spoke to Vladimir Putin uh, oh, before yeah. putting out the tweet on um, on the outcomes in Ukraine, uh, but not not even specifically about that. I feel like he's just a polarizing person. Yeah, People either love him or hate him. I I think I recognize that he is an imperfect human being who's sure. been molded by his success, but I also think he is one of the most competent people in terms of getting things that seem otherwise impossible to be possible. And, and that deserves a lot of respect and admiration for what he's been able to achieve. But that's sure. just my perspective. Um, I'm curious to know what your perspective is. Yeah. So I find it interesting that, cause I find it interesting that like you're bringing it up that he's reported to have spoken with Vladimir Putin before he sent that tweet. And he he denied it. He says he hasn't spoken to him in a year and a half. It's an anonymous source. Yeah. It's clickbait to me, yeah. you know? So that's, and there's so much stuff like that. Um, you can make a lot of money by just making clickbait like that. And so I, I see Elon as a person who's a sincere human being who has, uh, I, I feel like, humans being an interplanetary species is inevitable if we don't destroy ourselves. Right. Uh, I mean, we evolved from what? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we've continuously evolved, uh, you know, from single cell organisms and everything else. I mean, as, as far as a single cell organism that we evolved from would consider how we're living now, it's like we're on another planet or in another dimension. Yeah. And so I feel like it's an inevitability and uh, he seems like a guy that's putting his energy in the in the right place. He's a he's a human being. He screws up. He says stupid things. Can't believe what he said when he like challenged Putin to like a fight to the death. Just like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like that dude's KGB, uh, and he has a lot of people that could kill you. You know. So, but yeah, it's popular to hate. It's popular to hate billionaires. Uh, it's a cool thing to do. And uh, but yeah, as I, I've never met him, but. Seems like a great, good person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've I've spoken to him once from an audience to a stage. And he, I thought he responded quite articulately to the question that I asked. So I appreciated that. All right. Let's talk Plant Wave. Uh, your newest product, Plant Wave, appears to be the fulfillment of your mission to extend human perception. Where did the idea originally come from? Are plants conscious? And if not conscious... Uh, what level of intelli what level of intelligence do you think they possess? And consciousness is an amorphous term. So, um, you know, maybe we'll separate self awareness from consciousness and 
or you know, feel free to define your own definition of consciousness. As long as we have an objective frame against which to assess whether they are conscious or not, we can debate whether that definition of consciousness is accurate or not, but at least it, it serves as a framework to have this conversation. So where'd the idea fr- come from? Are plants conscious and, and why or why not? Sure, yeah. So the idea came about 11 years ago. Uh, I was always a person I would make I would produce music and I always uh, found my inspiration by going out into nature and connecting to the feeling of a place okay. and doing a field recording and then bringing that back into the studio. Cool. And in the studio, I would listen to the recording of the place. I would breathe and feel it. And then I would write music from there. Cool. Over time, I started to think, how could I connect? I started to think, is that place speaking through me or is the plant kind of, or the plants of those places kind of writing music through me? Like is, is the same thing that inspires a poet to take pen to paper, that same energy that inspires a plant to grow in a particular way. Okay. And I started to just play with that idea. And I thought, well, I started to work with an engineer to, to build a sensor where we could work off of the plant and get, uh, get data from the plant and then translate that into music. So part of it was, yeah, this inspiration. Part of it was this understanding. People were doing these uh, experiments in the 70s with plant consciousness. They were connecting lie detectors to plants uh, and they were getting a wave from the plants. And then when you know something happened in the room, sometimes the plants would seem to respond and you would see this wave change. So we're basically taking that wave and we're uh, translating the wave into pitch and then uh, routing the pitch messages to different instruments that I design. Uh, That process, that kind of generative music aspect of it was heavily influenced by Brian Eno. Uh, I saw him speak and I got to ask him a question at Moogfest in 2011 uh, about you know, generative music and his process for creating music that could just play for, you know, designing systems that would express music over, you know, 500 years. So that's, that's kind of how that came together. Now, in terms of, now in terms of plant consciousness, yeah, it, it depends on, I mean, to me, every being is com- conscious in the way that best serves its survival. So, you know, a plant will, you know, grow towards light and grow deeper into the soil. Yep. And if you put a plant in a dark room and there's a little bit of light creeping out from under a door across the room, the plant would grow towards that light. So uh, to be that is that is the consciousness that serves it in its survival for its particular way it's constructed or or yeah, the way it exists. Uh, uh, yeah, now in terms of, you know, plants don't have brains. Yep. Uh, and uh, it's nothing, it's, it's not to say there's anything wrong with that. Maybe, I don't think they need brains. They seem to be doing great. They seem to be doing just fine, yeah. Yeah, so consciousness to me is like this all pervading flow of information, um, of evolution. It's kind of this, this ability, well, yeah, it's a, it's an ability to, it's, it's, it's 
below the ability to process it. I think that I think of humans as like sensors for this flow of energy. I think of all beings as as sensors, you know. So I think of the plant. The plant is a sensor for this for different uh, phenomena, different energy. Humans are sensors and processors for them as well. Uh, yeah, plants are processors as well. They're sensors and processors. Do you think they have self awareness? And I think. And I know there's even debate about this, but when I think about what is the essence of consciousness uh, in terms of the highest level of consciousness, at least that we're aware of, it feels like the ability to make choice, right? To mm. take inputs of which there's a variety of different outcomes that come from it and select about through those outcomes to make a decision that we want to pursue, whether it's in our self-interest or not, at least we have the freedom. Now, I know... For example, my friend Charles does not believe in, in free will as an option, that we're mm -hmm. just an algorithm. And with enough sophistication, we can unpack that algorithm into an equation and always come to input, output, and know exactly what's going to happen. I'm not sure I necessarily agree, but it, it is one metric um, against which to assess um, the consciousness of. So do you think they have any degree of free will? Uh, yeah, back to back to your friend's theory, I generally agree with that theory that, so I wouldn't say that there isn't free will or that there, uh, or that everything is deterministic. Things may be deterministic. However, the uh, variables that are involved in the determinism are infinite. Right. So, it will never, I don't believe it will ever be possible to sense and I guess measure all of the variables at the same time in an amount of time that will give one the deterministic outcome of, of something. I get it. Yeah. Let me just probe on that a little bit though, which is with an infinite number of variables, you could never come to the conclusion or, or the equation that gives you all the inputs leading to a certain output. But in this room, there is a Joe who is self-aware, independent of his body, so to speak, right? Which is you self-identify as Joe. You say, I have hands, you know, um, and, and that gets into the duality between body and spirit, mind and soul, and, and all that kind of stuff. How, how would you respond to that if it was just a deterministic equation? What is the purpose of that self-awareness in, in your mind um, mm. in that equation? And you might not have an yeah, answer. It's, a yeah. it's obviously it's a, a tough cool question. question. It's I the hardest this. question. Yeah, right? I love this. I mean, I don't know that there is, I don't see it as much of a purpose as, as an outcome. I mean, the purpose is that it is like intellectual agility, maybe, and the ability to have hypotheses and to have ways of seeing to then navigate. Right. That that that's how I would that's how I would see it. Why what like why the self awareness? Well, the self awareness allows for inquiry, which allows for one to reorient the way that they are using their sensing and doing capabilities, which then allows them to, yeah, iterate on survival techniques, uh, which then become encoded as culture and, uh, you know, 
are perpetuated through text or customs. Right. So that's that's the way I see that. It's a, it's something that it's something that's maybe an inevitability of this sort of biological organism that we would be able to do that. It's the hardest question. It's called the hard question <laughs> of consciousness for a reason. Um, but I appreciate uh, your, your thinking on it. One realization I had recently is that we share a belief that the way we perceive the objective world is the same as how others perceive the objective world. For mm. instance, that my dog, I'm just using Banjo as an example, sees me or my wife uh, just as uh, I would see them, but in black and white, because we know the photoreceptors in, in dogs' eyes are, are different. But uh, in reading Don Hoffman's The Case Against Reality, have you read that book, I by the way? Not, you, you should yeah. pick it up. It's it's dense, but it, it's cool. fantastic. And just observing how he interacts with us, I've started to question that belief. Um, when did you put the pieces together that plant biodata could be linked to the creation of music? Or do you feel that the music reflects an accurate portrayal of their energy for lack of a, a better term, which is to say, first of all, what, what data are you collecting through the plant wave to express as, as music? It is basically galvanic skin response. It's, it's in, but on, on a leaf. So okay. it'd be like galvanic leaf response. It's essentially a impedance or uh, electrical resistance, yep. so change in conductivity over time. And the the plant wave takes that and translates it into a sound. Yeah, it takes it takes it and translates it into yeah, it graphs it as a wave, translates into pitch, and then uses different synthesizers to represent that pitch. So that sound, yes. And so one of my questions, and and after this question, I'd love to actually hear what this plant is. Uh, experiencing, I won't say expressing, but experiencing right now. Uh, so we'll, we'll actually run the the plant wave. But the translation of that into sound, presumably, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, involves some judgment on your part that this certain wave changing to this certain wave reflects a major note, which humans generally would receive as as being pleasant and positive versus you know a minor third which may create a very different intuitive response uh, in humans and so i'm wondering how 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 is that that conversion from bio data into music made and did that take judgment or is it um or or is it it just part of the equation so plants naturally sound like fairies and flutes okay uh no so um yeah there's a yeah, it's it's we're you can think of this as we're we're representing data in a way that can be pleasingly monitored by human beings. So uh, yeah, there are a few there are a few things there uh, in terms of the in terms of design, like the design approach. So one of them is the value of harmony. So it's it's important to have the data represented harmoniously because that will allow humans to spend time listening to the plant over a long period of time. So plants are plants are having these changes over time on much larger timescales than what we're used to. You know, if I were to water this plant while we're listening to it, the music might not be affected for an hour, four hours, right? Okay. So it's part of the design process is to make it so that 
people can actually listen to it and will want to. I mean, you could think of this as like, what if a weather map just looked aesthetically terrible? Like you wouldn't watch the weather channel or, you know, so there, there's a design, there's a design aspect there. Now, uh, now beyond that, uh, yeah, there's no kind of value judgment in the data in terms of like, oh, this is a happy plant or this is a sad plant. I mean, if a plant is less watered, it would probably produce less notes okay and be a little bit less expressive in the music uh, if a plant is is highly active it can actually we have it designed so it can actually play more uh, different instruments okay uh, so yeah there's there's the aspect of the harmony and then there's an aspect of um, of making this a monitoring system where by listening you can get a sense of the activity level of the plant. And so one way I do that is through having uh, multiple instruments uh, being triggered by the same data. Okay. And each instrument is representing the same data at a different resolution. So how, how does the resolution come through? The resolution is coming through by, uh, through arpeggiators. So okay. an arpeggiator is basically uh, you know, a device or, you know, software device that uh, determines how often a piece of data is allowed to be represented. So it's okay. it's how often a note is allowed to be uh, represented. So we have, you know, more staccato, um, you know, faster uh, arpeggiation rates on, you know, maybe like a, like a bell or something like that. And that's giving the listener... Uh, yeah, a very fine resolution of the data from the plant. And then there's something like bass or maybe a flute that could be a lower resolution that would only be allowed to be triggered by the plant once every 10 seconds or something like that. So that's another aspect. So it's, it's, the, it's providing different levels of resolution. And then the other thing is providing insight into the activity level of a plant. So what is the activity level? Uh, the activity level is basically how quickly the wave from the plant is changing. Okay. So you can think about this as right now, like if you were sitting down meditating and then you got up and ran as fast as you could, that would be a huge shift from like slow heartbeat to fast heartbeat. So uh, when there's a huge shift in the wave we're getting from the plant, that actually... Uh, switches that can switch instruments like that if something's really high activity maybe one set of instruments would play okay if something's lower activity another set of instruments would play so those are ways that we're representing the data and yeah i think that i mean this is an important conversation because i think some people when they just first see it even though we do our best to explain it yeah some people just think like oh that's that that if i could hear if my hearing was good enough that's what it would sound like, yeah. you know? And some people, you know, some people just have a really deep intuitive connection to, to plants and some people have synesthesia yep. and their synesthesia, synesthesia might sound like ambient music and that's awesome. That's really cool. That's cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but like that, that's, that's, not, that's not mechanically what's happening here, right. uh, even though it might line up with some people's intuitive experiences. Right. So the, the sort of mechanism, mechanism of action here is 
a healthy, happy plants as, as we would define. We have no idea what's going on in the plant's consciousness, but as, a, as represented by something that we would see as a healthy plant, the healthier and happier a plant is the more activity you're able to pick up through the plant wave and, and that gets expressed. And, and, and the higher the resolution of that um, activity, the more differentiated the, the sounds will get expressed through the plant wave. Is, is that approximately right? That's approximately, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Can we can we give it a go? Sure thing. We, we are about to listen to the plant. Macy, is this the plant you bought or Joe, is this the plant you brought to the, uh, okay. Macy was kind enough to buy a plant en route to this interview. So we're about to hear the the sound of, what kind of plant is it? Do you know? This is a, it looks like a Monstera or some. Like a, is it like a tiny monstera or like, yeah, it's okay, a monstera. A tiny monstera. And then it, it, well, we can probably put it in post, but it'd be cool to have different, you know, some different plants that you've recorded along so we can oh, hear sure. how the, the sound differentiates. Okay. Sure, sure. Okay, cool. So I'm just going to, I have my app open here. It's connected to the plant wave and I'm just going to plug this in and we'll listen. So you're hearing this just play basically one or two notes right now. And a lot of plants will be a lot more active than that. This can be very like sprinkly and celestial in other situations. But right okay. now it just sounds like very chill ambient music. Have you found ways to kind of immediately get a, a plant to respond? Um, you know, what... What have you learned from plants through this experience, I, I guess? Is there ways to immediately change uh, the, the the sounds they're making or the, the energy that's coming through them? I know you talked about how watering it take, could take hours to see it, it get expressed, but mm-hmm. there are things you can do immediately um, that you think would help that plant have, a, plant have a, a different expression of sound right now? You can definitely touch it. Yeah. But then, so when you touch it, then you are becoming part of what the system is sensing. But right. then after that, the plant might be doing something else. Okay. Uh, we can also just try, since it's in such a chill zone right now, we could try watering it and just see what happens. Yeah, let's give it a shot. We can always turn this up a little bit. See what happens immediately. And then maybe towards the end of the conversation, we can tune back into it to see what happens. Sure, sure. Okay. Oh, it's already up a little bit. Maybe it's probably good. there's almost I think there might be more than one plant in here so I connected between two leaves that are different plants so we heard the water the the water content in the soil change so the connection between those two plants changed okay so that's something that's fun especially with uh, 
snake plants that gets really, really apparent. And you can hear the notes going up. And that's the change in conductivity going up. Yep. And then, yeah, it's still going. And then we have it built so that the notes kind of fold because if it went infinitely up, it would just get out of our field of perception. So you can just hear the fold there in the algorithm. So now okay. it's the lowest notes. And you might just hear it continually ascend and kind of like loop that uh, as it folds. Yeah, so it's continuing to ascend. Have you done any experiments formally or informally to see how you get a, a plant to respond? For example, I remember the studies that you talk about in grade 10 science about how talking to a plant in a, in a positive way with positive words can cause it to grow and talking to a plant in a, in a negative way and criticizing it can actually negatively affect the, the plant growth. Have, have you played with that uh, at all? I have not played with it in that way necessarily. I mean, I, I have done a lot of uh, meditation and breath work with plants. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I hear those studies about the positive and negative kind of affirmation things. And I don't know, there's something about like faking being angry at something as an experiment. Yeah. That just that doesn't seem like a good experiment. Totally. So, uh, and I, I have no reason to be angry at a plant, so <laughs> I wouldn't be the guy to, to do that. You've uh, never stubbed your toe on a plant and gotten mad at it for being in the way? No, I would just be like, oh, look at you. I'm sorry. I stepped on you. I, I, I could work on my awareness of other beings like you. You are uh, one evolved human being. I would probably get very frustrated and yell <laughs> on the plane. It's, it's one of the funniest reactions of uh, my, my friend Mike tells a story about he was driving across the country. I think he was moving to Calgary or something and getting close. He got a call from the movers uh, saying they were actually, they were supposed to be there three days before and they're going to be two weeks late. And he was just literally driving into the city to move into that city mm. and none of his stuff was there. And he got so angry, he punched his rear view mirror off Um in like the most self-destructive display of anger ever. We're like, oh yeah, I'm going to prove <laughs> prove something to my movers by destroying my car. That's a really good thing, but that's how, how we act. Uh, how does that so, work out? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it yeah. is natural. You know, I stub yeah. my toe and like my immediate sure. reaction is like, why is that fucking chair there? Uh, uh -huh. not, not fully taking responsibility, but in the moment, you know, it, it feels yeah. like a, a great expression of anger. So, well, I'm no more evolved than you unless my existence predates universe. It might. It depends on how you, uh, uh, how you think about uh, consciousness and, and where <laughs> you are on your journey. Um, no, that, that, that's super cool. And do you, do you notice a, a significant variety amongst plants? You said, I think before you had, had put the, the plant wave on a, on a cannabis plant. Is, mm -hmm. is there significant variation amongst plants? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of difference between every plant and, and between every leaf in the same plant. So it, it's, it's not something where you could reverse engineer what plant it was by listening to it. Okay. Uh, but, it, but it is a thing where some plants might be more responsive than others or some plants might be more active than others. It also depends on what time of day it is, how much water it's had and what else is going on. Uh, yeah, so for, for me, 
there are certain kinds of plants I like to work with, which is I tend to like to work with like hardy tropical plants. The reason is they tend to be a little bit more responsive. They have a lot more water to move around. And uh, yeah, I, I have also experienced them to be more sensitive just in general. Right. Uh, so yeah, for instance, I did an installation in uh, Colorado at University of uh, Colorado. And every time, it was outside, and every time all the uh, students got out of class and were walking by, the music just completely changed. <laughs> it was just like completely different. Uh, you know, it just things were, all, all the synths were going all over the place. Similarly, yeah, I was, uh, when I lived in California, I was leading, and before, before the pandemic, I was leading uh, breath work twice a week in uh, in Venice. And, you know, we'd have 40 people in the class. Everybody is breathing and having these really deep experiences. And the, the plant music would completely shift. You know, when people mm -hmm. had these energetic releases or when people were meditating, it would, there were these huge shifts. And for me, I would always uh, encourage the participants to use those shifts, you know, as a prompt to ask yourself, like, what's shifting within you in this time? What is that energy that was just released, or what are you, what are you calling in in this moment? Mm -hmm. And so, I, I feel like it's a, uh, you know, the, the plant music and plant wave can be this really cool divination tool uh, if we choose to allow it to be that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say music. I'm not sure if it's the proper articulation of what I heard there, but the music I heard was yeah, very entrancing. It was very peaceful, and I, mm -hmm. I felt that almost immediately. Um, and I think that's a very cool experience of of tapping into. You know, people talk about energy, and and mm -hmm. I'm a, call it seventy percent believer in in the notion of energy. Um, but experiencing it right there, it really takes it to a different level of awareness and embodiment, uh, mm -hmm. which was which was very cool. Yeah, it's uh, non-repetitive. It keeps, you know, it's a continuous expression of a moment. Yeah. So uh, that we've experienced that, uh, you know, our our listeners or the people that have Plant Wave, you know, they feel more calm and inspired and connected when they're listening with Plant Wave. And that's because you never know what's coming next, but you always know it's going to feel good. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like laying under a tree and watching beams of light through the leaves in the wind. Yeah. It's this phenomenon that's known as uh, stochastic phenomena. And that's sh been shown to be really great for the brain and really great to, you know, help us relax. So it's almost like we're using technology to almost like hook up wind chimes that are triggered by the internal mechanisms of a living organism. What has working with the plant wave taught you uh, about plants and about humans maybe that you didn't know or assume beforehand? I think for me, it's been about, it's been quite psychedelic in that it's about ego dissolution. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I believe plants are conscious and all things are conscious or they're at least receptors and processors of, of consciousness. And, uh, you know, people ask me if I name my plants and uh, I like to say that they don't need a name because they don't have an ego. Hmm. And because they don't have an ego, 
there's nothing that's getting in the way of them grounding and growing towards the light. And so that's what I learned from the plants. It's a, it's a very be beautiful metaphor, even though I'm not sure it's a metaphor. Maybe it's a, no, it's definitely not a simile. I don't know what that was, but it's very poetic. Uh, my, my, my grade 11 English teachers are probably slamming their heads against a desk right now. Um, but that's a perfect segue to talk about psychedelics, which is really the, the foundation of this podcast. And, mm -hmm. and we've touched on, I think, some very psychedelic conversations topics about con consciousness, which is one of my favorites. Is there a difference you found between psychedelic plants and non-psychedelic plants in terms of what they express? I haven't experienced there being something hugely different based on their psychoactive properties. Uh, I did notice, I did record an album with cannabis plants in the spring and you know, it could have been that particular plant, could have been that particular day. But what I did notice is that the wave that I got from that plant was particularly refined hmm. in a way. It was a lot of times the data I'm getting is it it looks like a lot of noise. Okay. Uh, or it'll be a wide range of noise that over time looks like a wave. Whereas with the cannabis plant, I worked with it had um, very clearly defined like um, wave. It was more like a line than a, than a bar, hmm. you know, of of, of waves. So that was really cool. Cool, Macy. We should get uh, we get, should get some of the plant music on on the app. Uh, I think that would be a very cool mm -hmm. experience to support uh, psychedelic experiences. Have you listened to? plant music in any of your work with psychedelics? I'm, I'm making an inference, uh, mm -hmm. even though we haven't specifically asked about it, uh, about how psychedelics have affected the course of, of your life, positive and negative. Um, but uh, have you listened to plant music while on plant medicines? I have listened to plant music with some psychedelics. I, and I have done ayahuasca I, I like i love how you're just like oh you've done plant medicine you're the plant music guy i got uh, questions here that yeah, <laughs> have it in there already but yes there was a bit of a leap there yeah yeah yeah, yeah not too much of a leap uh yeah so my story with 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 psychedelics is uh you know in in some ways i don't know that this this product would it would exist uh okay if um, I didn't have the breakthroughs through psychedelics that I needed to allow me to share more of myself. I mean, I would have been making plant music either way. I okay. made plant music before psychedelics. But the plant music, you know, the, the plant music kind of introduced me to the healers and the healers introduced me to the modalities I needed to release any resistance to showing up fully and creating a product for the world. Okay. And it was very literal that the plants called me to the ceremony. And uh, the way it happened was that there are these two guys in South America who were both studying under different shaman. And they both came out of ceremony with a message from the plant that they were called to create an app that would, or to help bring to life an app that would spread 
this message of plant consciousness. Hmm. And so these two guys meet up and they're having dinner with another person who hears who 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 happens to know me. Okay. And they and they sit down and they're like, "Oh, I had this. Oh, I'm supposed to do this thing. Oh, I'm supposed to do this thing." And then <laughs> my friend Carolina is like, "Oh, I know this guy in the US that uh, is is making plant music and he and he wants to produce an app." So these guys hit me up and they're like, "Okay, we hear about how you're connecting the plants. We can get grants and things down here in Chile." to help fund your project. So they flew me down for six weeks and I was in negotiation with my business partner now and uh, I wasn't sure if we were gonna work together. And finally I was like, all right, dude, I'll just bring you down too. And we were having some, we, I wasn't sure. Um, but anyway, through the plant, me, plant medicine ceremonies, uh, there were all of these breakthroughs that allowed me and my business partner to see eye to eye and how we could work together and it and these other guys that brought us down originally they were thinking they would be the ones that would build our app they had a tech company and all this stuff so okay. they, that's what they were that's what they were thinking their role was but what it turned out was that their role was actually just to get me and my business partner to heal our relationship and see how to work together and uh yeah so and, and it came up with the shadow and all these things you know some of the people there, I mean, they were great, but then there was some manipulation and weird stuff happened. And But even in ceremony, like my business partner was able to show up and he was like, hey, like you're crossing a boundary right now. I'm at the switchboard of the universe and you're trying to pull me out to do some like political thing. Like, no, <laughs> this is not happening. I was like, that, that's the characteristics of my business partner. Like, right. yeah, we're doing this. Cool. And so those guys uh, were psyched. They were like, oh, we did exactly what we were supposed to do, which was bring these people down here to enable them to work together so they could bring this thing to life. So cool. Yeah. It's a great story. <laughs> how uh, how were you doing it differently before and and how did it change afterwards? Um, how, were you, how were you creating plant music before? Uh, yeah. So it, it's 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 almost the same. Some okay. of the mechanics are different. But before uh, the, the really early days... Uh, we used an old Radio Shack lie detector from the 1980s. Sweet. Yeah. And we had that connected to a plant with wires taped to the plant. And that was run into uh, a MacBook where we had a pure data patch, which is like a visual computing software uh, that was custom made by Sam Cusimano. And that did the 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 transformation into MIDI, uh, the, the wave into notes. And then I used a program called Ableton Live, which is a di digital audio workstation, like super popular with like anybody that makes electronic music. I used that to design the instruments and design the whole signal flow. Okay. Uh, so that was it. There were a lot of wires. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, a lot of times computers crashing and things. And basically what I did is over time, over whatever, eight years of making plant music, I I really encoded the structure of the music algorithm part. And we had, like, it's like greatest hits of my Ableton sessions basically built into, uh, into software. Okay. And then we built a back end to that software. So I, I design everything in app now. So 
back in the day. I would design the plant music by sitting there at a computer and editing all these things. Now I just design the music by laying on my couch and just chilling with headphones. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I have a note here that uh, not only has ayahuasca, I guess, healed your relationship with your business partner, unless your business partner is your dad, but it also had a significant impact impact on uh, your relationship uh, with your father and beyond. Can you share that story? Sure. Yeah, this is pretty... This was pretty wild. It's, you know, the plants really do work in multiple dimensions over long periods of time. And I remember I was there and I had this thing. It was like, I think I had anxiety sometimes around uh, meeting like really beautiful women and just like saying hi to them or something. I was like, what is that about? Like while I was, while I was in, I was, what was my problem? What is going on there? And then the plant was just like, well, what's stopping you from just looking your dad in the eye, saying I love you and giving him a hug? And I was like, that wasn't the answer I was expecting. <laughs> I, was like, I, didn't, I didn't ask a question and want a question as an answer. That's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, then I, you know, when, next time I was back uh, visiting my parents, I went to look my dad in the eye and say, I love you and give him a hug. And it was like a whole day just trying to catch the dude's eyes. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Like, here, I know you're here. Like, where, uh, uh. And it was like, for a whole day, I couldn't like catch his eyes. It didn't happen. I was like, what is going on? So then the next time I was there, like three months later, I'm in Philadelphia and it's the day I'm going to go hanging with my dad. And there's this woman that walks by and she's like, she says, excuse me, but not like, excuse me. It's like more like, get the f out of my yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. I was like, whoa, all right, what? And uh, I moved out of the way. But then I guess I moved down the more of the sidewalk so she would have to walk over the grate. And she was like, I said, get out of my way. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? I was like, wow. And I just saw her body language as she's walking by. I was like, man, like, she's having a rough day. Like, she needs a hug, you know? People like that, like, we just need more hugs in this world. So, yeah, and I vowed to myself, I said, you know what, next time I see somebody being like aggressive or like a real, like really angry, I'm just going to offer them a hug. So universe delivers, man. <laughs> Look out. So three hours later, I, I, I'm coming out of getting like lunch and I'm walking down the street. There is a man on a bicycle being assaulted by a very violent person. And it's one of those scenes where I'm walking down the street and everybody between me and the situation clears off of the sidewalk and is running across the street. Yeah. This man is like trying to drag this guy off the bicycle. He's hitting him. Finally, the guy on the bike gets away. And the man who is, um, yeah, assaulting this guy just starts yelling at everyone. Like, he's just like, I'll kill all y'all. You know, like, come on. He's just ready, you know. And there's nobody between me and this dude and i'm like guess that's a guy i'm here to hug today yeah jesus and uh so he's walking towards me threatening my life and i just walk calmly towards him and he's maybe like a hundred feet away like yeah. walking towards me and i just say like hey man would you like a hug and he looks at me and is just his 
the confusion on his face in that moment. She's like, what, what'd you say? And I was like, would you, I said, I said, would you like a hug? And he, he just looks at me and he just goes, it's like his everything, all the, all the tension in his body just completely release. Yeah. And he just goes, hell yeah, I want a hug. <laughs> and we just ran at each other and we just hugged it out. You That's know? awesome. And he just started crying. I put my hand on his heart. I was like, I love you, man. It's all right. And he just, he was like, he's like, I don't want to be like my father. My father was an alcoholic. I want to be good to my son. And he was drunk, you know? And he was like, he's like, I don't want to be like him. Hmm. He's like, I'm sorry. And I was just like, bro, you're doing, like, I got you, man. Let's, you know, I just, we were just like hung out and hugged it out and told me a little bit about his story and what's, what he wants to do with his life. And yeah. And then, and then I said, good, I was, I said goodbye. It's funny. Like, he uh he was so psyched and he he went to pick me up he grabbed me like by my thighs <laughs> picked me up this is a big dude yeah. picked me up in the air i'm like there like 12 feet in the air or whatever and he's still a little drunk and we're standing on the side of the street and we just fall over into the middle of the street and like so happy there weren't cars there <laughs> plants uh and yeah and so now he's on that same corner where he previously wanted to kill me and everyone was running away from him. And now it's like a whole group, a new group of people. Yeah. And he's he's now laying there like a little bit bruised up. And he's he's sitting there. And now everybody's coming up to him. Oh my God, are you okay? Like, oh my God, can I get you something? You know, it's just like completely shifted wow. the whole thing. And uh, I was like, wow, yeah. So, okay, so... Then fast forward uh, like a few hours, <laughs> a few hours later, and I go to hang with my parents, and like first thing I like open the door, and like before my dad, could, before anything, it was like I caught it was like it was like I was I was just like a ninja where it was just like I abs there was no way he was gonna not see me. It was just like it was just like eye contact is like this is mine. I went for the kill, you know. I was just like, Dad, hi, I love you, and I gave him a hug. You know, and because uh, I had just gone, you know, the universe like delivered the 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 huge challenge to me. Like, well, well, uh, yeah, I guess if you're not gonna hug your dad, we'll give you this guy to hug first. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah, and it was cool too because it was like it was like he was he was surprised, you know, and it was yeah. like it was just like oh, all right, you know, it, it was it was funny. So. Uh, how did your dad respond? He didn't like, yeah, it wasn't like, it was just, it wasn't transformative or anything. It was just like a matter of fact. It was just like, just give your dad. My dad, you know, I might still have a story, but I don't feel like my dad has like, he's not like, comes from a different generation, you know? And it's just like, I think he was, he definitely was more in like hippie kind of vibes in the sixties and seventies, but he, that that like that physical reception it's not like he's not as much that guy yeah and i think that i let that story get in the way of giving physical affection sure with my dad and now i'm just like all right dude just giving you a hug <laughs> yeah and how did it feel for you in that moment oh it felt like a relief mostly because now you can talk to beautiful women <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess uh 
it just felt good because it just released any kind of charge and yeah yeah and it I think what I learned from it was how I can you know I'm always bringing loving energy into a situation yeah it's just that's the you know, you were asking me earlier, like, what? Oh, like, how are you oriented this way? And you know, this is this is part of it because yeah. I, I've lived it. I've taken the risk. I realized that, I, like, I in a way, put my life on the line. I guess in that situation. Yep. And uh, I chose love. Right. And I was like, cool. Like, I have a hypothesis, and it's that love transforms. Right. Let's see if I'm right. And uh, yeah, so I have I've had that experience, and and from having that experience, you know, I, I'm I'm just more committed to love and to yeah, and to service than ever. That's beautiful. Yeah. So what's next for you? What what uh, what does the the future hold? What's what's on your your um, Radar for the next couple of years. What do you want to achieve with Plant Wave? Where does it go, and 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 what does success over the next few few years look like for you? Yeah, there are a few things that that we have have going on. Uh, yeah, we have new Plant Waves coming out uh, soon. We keep selling out of them faster than we can produce them. Amazing, which is a good thing. Yeah, uh, thank you everyone for your patience. <laughs> <laughs> so we are taking pre orders now, and uh, they'll be delivered in November. Um. So that that's that's big. We are working on a uh, a docu series called okay. Living Fossils with uh, director Josh Kogan, and this is a series that uh, is about endangered ecosystems and the people that are stewarding them. So we're you know, we've just we visited Alaska and British Columbia, checking out old growth forests and some of the last remnants of that. Yeah. And then I just got back from visiting uh, some remnants of native prairie land in Alabama and Wisconsin. Uh, so, you know, my goal is to use Plant Wave as this platform. You know, we're not only connecting people, you know, meeting people where they are, which is like on their phones, and bringing them in connection with nature you know, bringing them into connection with plants and then also using that as a way of storytelling and bringing greater awareness to uh, a lot of beautiful valuable life here on earth that is asking uh, for an opportunity to serve us right. in offering its existence and these places, when you're in them, when I'm in them, when I was in them, I've never felt so held in my life mm. by the earth. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to share that. And I think we're still figuring out the release stuff of that, but that's going to be probably 2023. Uh, and the bigger picture for the company. So my company is called Data Garden, and we make PlantWave. And... Um, Data Garden's bigger picture is that the software we've developed that you have heard with the plants, yep. uh, we are able to connect that same software to wearables. Okay. And so we've worked on some pilot projects. Uh, we did something with the HeartMath Institute where we're taking heart rate variability and making meditation music with it. My best friend works at HeartMath, so oh, that's really? awesome. Have you met Owen, Owen Ward? I haven't met Owen. Okay. I just met... Uh, Roland and okay. uh, gosh, 
um, Mike, uh, but they're like original, original the, the dudes. OGs, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we are, yeah, we have, you know, we have patents and things related to making, uh, making biofeedback music from wearables. So in the future, like what I am building is a soundtrack to your life that will be based in real time by your own biorhythms. It can be tailored to your taste and optimized for its peak performance in anything from sleep to high intensity interval training to uh, meditation. And it will be not only a mirror for your body's activities that will help you to more finely tune to your own being. Uh, it will also be in a way a guide nudging you towards, uh, you know, towards better health. I, I love that. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think as, as a species, we have to go from the process of knowing to awareness, mm. which is just a deeper level, a more embodied intuitive sense of knowing. And, and so it's kind of like, I know when I'm dysregulated, I know when I'm stressed, um, up here, but helping it ground and, and finding those mechanisms on an embodied level uh, to shift that, I think, is is incredibly powerful. I know that's that's the basic thesis of heart math, and and I think this is an amazing way to be doing that. So, uh, if people want to know more about Plant Wave or Data Garden or anything else, how how do they find you? Yeah, uh, go to plantwave.com, Learn a lot more about uh, about Plant Wave. Uh, yeah, and uh, datagarden.org. Um, that that that's where you'll find a little bit about everything. Um, and uh, yeah, I share a lot of kind of personal stories and how you know everything about what we're developing at PlantWave and Data Garden on my own Instagram. So that's nature of now. Uh, but really, just I think checking out checking out the PlantWave Instagram. That that seems to be where. A lot of the action is happening where cool. you can listen to a lot of different plants and learn a little bit more about it. Sweet. Yeah. Joe, thank you so much. Thank you for taking time on this bloody hot day, at least for my Toronto blood in Austin. <laughs> it's really nice to meet you. I loved hearing these stories, love learning uh, about Plant Wave and, and hearing it. It actually, I listened to it on the website yesterday and I'm mm. like, this is kind of atonal. I don't, I don't know if that I like this, mm. but this one was a very different experience oh, and it was really, really touching. So oh, I, uh, I like it. So thank you awesome. for being a part of this and, and Macy, who's in the room with us. Uh, thank you for making this happen. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is beautiful. I, I really appreciate what you're bringing to the world and the, the fact that you're making it available uh, to more humans so that they can have this experience, uh, this deeper experience and this more expansive experience of uh, what it is to be human and feel connected. Yeah. Um, really important work. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll have certainly heard me reference this passage from Even Cowgirls Get the Blues by Tom Robbins. That passage goes, So you think you're a failure, do you? Well, you probably are. What's wrong with that? In the first place, if you've any sense at all, you must have learned by now that we pay just as dearly for our triumphs as we do for our defeats. Go ahead and fail, but fail with wit, fail with grace, fail with style. A mediocre failure is as insufferable as a mediocre success. Embrace failure. Seek it out. Learn to love it. That may be the only way 
any of us will ever be free. Well, I usually reference this line in the context of learning to take risks and embracing failures. This time I want to focus on a pivotal word that I often overlook. If you have any sense at all. Sense. What a word that we often pay no attention to. In this context, I'd probably think it refers to smarts or intelligence. In Joe's case, good sense would have been to stay away from the burly, angry, drunk guy yelling on the street. But as I sit with it more, I think Tom Robbins intended it to be a much broader reference to all of our senses, which certainly exceed the five we often think of being sight, smell, sound, taste, and touch, to probably a truly infinite number. In Joe's case, it was his sense of intuition that led him to override the logical conclusion, stay the fuck away from that guy, to make the right decision, give the dude a hug. Getting in touch with our senses, all of our senses, is one of the things that I love so much about psychedelics. The synesthesia they help produce remind us how much more texture, color, and life there is to our lives than we ordinarily accept. And when we let those senses in more, whether or not catalyzed by psychedelics, we open ourselves up to new levels of joy and happiness. That's why I love Joe's mission to extend real-time human perception in so many ways. Utilizing all of our senses gives us, in all ways, the truest experience of what it is to be human. How cool is that? As a quick reminder, please follow, rate, and review Field Tripping wherever you get your podcasts and sign up for our newsletter at fieldtriphealth.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Field Tripping. I'm your host, Ronan Levy. Until next time, stay curious, breathe properly, and remember, every day is a field trip if you let it be one. Field Tripping is created by Ronan Levy. Our producer is Conrad Page and associate producer is Macy Baker. Thanks to Joe Patitucci for joining us today. To tune into nature and to listen to your houseplants music, visit plantwave.com.